Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. When you hear from people that live in those cities, they say that crime is on their mind and that they need to adjust their life in order to stay safe. Take a listen to what they had to say to us. You feel like sometimes you turn down the wrong street, you just feel like you shouldn't be there. But other areas, I feel fine. We used to feel uh, comfortable walking around at night, um, and uh, we feel less comfortable now than we used to. Make sure I'm holding like everything close to me, and that I have like my protection on me, whether it's mace or anything like that. I've seen large numbers of police in certain places. Uh, we could probably use uh, some more. That comes out of New York. And what is fascinating is, is that if you were to ask these people, will you change who you vote for? Well, no, because abortion is so important. Note that there's no connection, but the, the overall mentality is so baked in. Oh, I can't, I, I'd have to still vote for, for, for Democrats in New York. I'd still have to vote for Democrats in Indianapolis, in Chicago, in Seattle, in Minnesota. Doesn't matter the levels to which cities and states are falling apart. What matters is something that isn't connected to the other thing. What matters is this idea of a fealty to a brand that has provided you nothing. Why do you stick with the brand? Bud Light provides beer. When Bud Light insults me by, first of all, lying about what a woman is, but secondly, adds politics into my beer, which I'm drinking to forget about all the other things. Why should I reward them? But people don't do this with with parties. What has the Democratic Party provided? Now, you can ask the other question. Well, what has the Republican Party provided? I think they can show a story. Certainly, they can show a safer story. Why shouldn't that be noted? Why can't I have to hold everything close to me? I have to make sure I have my mace on me before I walk down the street I ask only one question. Is that the world you want to live in or have you become resigned to it? Oh, well, that's the way it is. What are you going to do? As long as we've got abortion, you can't walk down a street. You can't walk down a street because it's not safe. You might get punched in the face. You can't walk down a street because there's human feces all over the ground. Why isn't that the thing that you're focused on? How is it possible that you could just be like, oh, well, what are you going to do? What is the level of learned helplessness there? Don't you pay attention to those things. The only thing you should pay attention to is abortion. I mean, this this was a clip from CBS. Uh, I don't think it was over the weekend where the Senate didn't pass the Equal Rights Amendment. I guess I should say hello. Tony Katz, that's me. Hey, how are you? Tony Katz today, good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. That's the number. Absolutely would love to hear from you. The Democrats tried to pass the Equal Rights Amendment. They did. The Equal Rights Amendment. We're going back to the 70s here. Now, if you don't know the, the, the text 
of the Equal Rights Amendment, it's pretty important. Because what the Equal Rights Amendment says is that equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. This got passed by Congress in 72, and then it had the opportunity to become an amendment. Seven years to get three-fourths of the states to ratify it. It didn't happen. So in 1978, a majority of Congress, it was a simple majority, they extended the deadline to 1982 and no other states signed on. The legislatures vote. They decide whether or not they want this. They didn't sign on to this. At the time, when people opposed the Equal Rights Amendment, they said, well, clearly this is about codifying abortion. Oh, no, it's not. This is not about abortion. This is about women. First, you can't even define what a woman is, you freaks. Freaks. There was a whole conversation between Chuck Todd and um, oh, oh, uh, Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy, about what is a woman. And who do you think you are, Ramaswamy, to, to, to say what a woman is? You seem like you're, you're, you're pretty sure of, of, of your science, but, but how could you possibly be? Did you hear this conversation? It's absolutely amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. Here, let me, let me, let me play this right here. But below the age of 18, I think it's perfectly legitimate to say that we won't allow genital mutilation or chemical castration through puberty blockers You're for the purpose of that, gender transition. But how do you know it's that? Again, how do you know? Are, are you confident that you know that gender uh, is... Uh, as binary as you're describing it, are you confident that it isn't a spectrum? I am. Uh, you know I'm, this as a scientist? Well, there's there's two X chromosomes if you're a woman, an X and a Y. That means there's you're a, a man. lot so of scientific research out this. there. There's a lot of scientific research out there that says gender is a spectrum. Chuck, I, I respectfully disagree. Gender dysphoria for most of our history, all the way through the DSM-5, has been characterized as a mental health disorder. And I don't think it's compassionate to affirm that. I think that's cruelty. When a kid is crying out for help, mm-hmm. what they're asking for is, you got to ask the question of what else is going wrong at home? What else is going wrong at school? Let's be compassionate and get to the heart of that, rather than playing this game as though we're actually changing right. our medical understanding but for the I, last I, I go 100 back. years. Funny, I know a guy on radio has been saying the same thing for a few years now. Because that is the way it is. What we're seeing right now in society is social contagion. And when you see kids saying, if you don't let me do this, I'm going to kill myself. uh, That's a kid who needs uh, certainly a lot of help. That's not a reason to say, okay, go mutilate your body. We're fine with it. You're in charge, 12-year-old. Do you know how weird you have to be to let a 12-year-old be in charge of anything? They get to decide what surgeries they have? Of course it's abusive if you let a kid do this. And yes, parents are sometimes in a very tough position. I don't want to be somebody who is not uh, aware of this. But if you let a 12-year-old do this to themselves, it's abuse. That's it. That is the abuse. But I, I got a little uh, segued on that. I'm, I'm glad I was able to bring it to you. Let me bring it back to the Equal Rights Amendment. So the Equal Rights Amendment is very, very clearly a conversation about abortion. And the Equal Rights Amendment didn't get passed and didn't get put into um, 
uh, didn't become an amendment. Well, now Democrats, today, we're talking about 1982 when this was done and done after the extended deadline. They're trying to pass the ERA. You're going to try and again to make it an amendment and then get the states to vote on it? Or is it that you believe that because other states would now sign on to it, you should be able to revive it from 1972? And the next thing you know, you got yourself a new amendment that would allow abortion because abortion is your religion. Abortion is the religion of the left. It is not about freedom. It's not about women's rights. That's all nonsense. This is religion. It's a cult. And the cult involves we want to be able to freely kill. Now, you don't have to agree with me that it's a baby. You never, ever, ever have to agree with me that it's a baby. You or someone else, not necessarily you, they can be a science denier all they wish. You can deny the science from now until the end of time. You feel free to deny the science. The question before us is, what is it? Can we at least agree that abortion is killing something? Well, Tony, it's just a clump of cells. Fine, it's just a clump of cells. Can we agree that abortion is killing it? Can we agree on the baseline that abortion is killing something? We're not going to say what it is. But it's killing something. And this is what the political left favors with such absolute absolute ferocity that they decide to have a vote to bring it back. By the way, you, you can't just decide, well, three more states would sign on to it. So therefore, you know, it, we, we could maybe get it passed. So so we'll just revive it. That's not doesn't that doesn't fly. You know who said so? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It doesn't fly. It doesn't work. And therefore, send out Alyssa Milano, former actress and Lord only knows what she is now, spokesperson among spokespeople for the political left, to tell you that the court can't be trusted and we need the ERA. I think that the way in which we are looking at our government, um, there's a Republican war on women, on our rights. This is the, oh, my daughter is the only generation that's actually watching her rights get rolled back. Um, so I think that we are seeing a legitimate uh, reason for concern. And I think especially with the Supreme Court being an activist, uh, uh, you know, very right-wing, uh, conservative Supreme Court uh, that is very biased. Um, we may not see a real change in the things that we've seen roll back in our lifetimes unless we pass the Equal Rights Amendment and things can get tested in the court of law. Couple things here. First, when the ERA first came out, uh, there was much talk that this was about codifying abortion, and uh, the political right was told, "How dare you? This isn't about abortion. This is about women and women being equal." No, it's about abortion, and Alyssa Milano just told you so. Great piece over at National Review uh, about this from John McCormick. Uh, she just told you so. Uh, secondly, you'll note that whenever the court disagrees with her, the court is far right and biased. 
When the court is to the left, well, then it's the court. When the court's to the right, it's far right and biased. I believe that people like Alyssa Milano uh, and many members of Congress are actually trying to instigate violence against the court. And when it happens, as it already has, people like Alyssa Milano should be um, in absolutely charged uh, with, uh, you want to call it insurrection, you want to call it um, trying uh, an, an attack on democracy. I don't know. I'll let the lawyers figure out what the charge is. What's the difference? What's the difference? She hasn't she hasn't shown up uninvited to the to the House of Representatives yet. These people fomenting this anger, fomenting this hate against the court, whether it's her or whether it's uh, members of, of Congress. It goes on and on every single day. Fomenting the hate, fomenting the anger. This is who she is. I mean, this was over the Washington Post, a guy by the name of Perry Bacon Jr. I must admit, I am not uh, familiar with Perry Bacon Jr. That's that's his uh, name. He focuses on the radicalism of the Republican Party. I'm sorry, the growing radicalism of the Republican Party and the right and the efforts mostly on the left and among Democrats to create a more just equitable society this this is what he co- covers this is what a yale uh, a yale a bachelor's in political science uh, gets you creating the more equitable society so he's a radical and his thoughts on what you should do uh, with republicans i think ultimately we have to in the short term shame them out of passing the most aggressive version of these bills criticize them enough to make sure that they are told when they go to church or when they go to the grocery store that you passed a terrible bill and acted like a bigot are you sure that shame would work with kentucky republicans i mean look at Rand paul if i got my ass kicked in my front yard by my neighbor i would never leave my house again it was on comedy central isn't that funny It's funny. Rand Paul gets viciously assaulted, and it's hilarious. Does everybody at uh, Comedy Central at at The Daily Show suck? People get assaulted, and it's funny. Good Lord. You see, there's a natural response that would then come. But if I were to say that, I would get fired from my radio show. But she doesn't. As a matter of fact, no one gets fired from The Washington Post. This guy gets hired to talk about the nonsense of equity. Not equality, equity. The nonsense, garbage, bigotry, demeaning crap of equity. That's this guy's whole damn job, and he wants Republicans attacked at church. Trust me, plenty of people want to tell me what they think, and no matter where I am. And the worst is cigar lounges. Just leave me alone and let me have a cigar. What's wrong with you? So far, no one's really gone nuts on me uh, when I'm with my wife. Because that will be the first and last time that happens. And after all, you can't blame me for wanting to protect and defend myself. Um, These people are telling me that I need to defend myself because they're coming. Abortion is the religion. Abortion is their everything. People will live in filth and muck and mire and amongst violence and uh, murders all around them. As long as they get abortion, which is still murder all around them. So I don't know. Maybe that's it. Maybe they don't mind it. 
And if you dare note that not all women think the same and there are many women opposed to abortion, well, they'll tell you those aren't real women, but those Republicans are trying to attack women and demean women and destroy women. It would seem to me that a lot of those babies that get aborted would grow up to be women. So not really holding. But as I said, it is their religion. And when I say religion, I'm really being insulting. It's their cult. And it has no end in sight. And Republicans better take note because this is going to play in the election. I was wrong about 2022 and the level to which it played. I will not be wrong in 2024 about how Democrats will try and play it. If abortion is the only thing that moves people to the point that they will live amongst filth and live in fear in order to maintain it. What won't they do at a polling place? Get ready for a very ugly election season. I'm Tony Katz. So I've seen many, many people discussing Jeffrey Epstein's private calendar and how it is, as reported by Fox News, Epstein had planned meetings with CIA chief and with Obama officials. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Uh, This was obtained by the Wall Street Journal. Planned meetings with now CIA Director William Burns, Bard College President uh, Leon Botstein, Obama White House Counsel uh, Catherine Rummler, Rummler, sorry, and Noam Chomsky. This, it goes back a little bit. This is after um, Epstein was in jail in 2008. So a a look at these documents will force a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of questions. First, let me be someone, and you should note, I have zero conspiratorial bones in my body. Not a one. I do not have a single conspiratorial bone in me at all in any way, shape, or form. That said, Jeffrey Epstein did not kill himself. I say it. I mean it. I make no apologies. Don't get... Go listen to NPR. I don't know what to tell you. Anybody who believes Jeffrey Epstein killed himself is out of their mind. The video camera stopped working. The guards weren't on patrol. What kind of thing is this? Secondly, we already know that Epstein had all sorts of friends in all sorts of places. Third, anybody who accompanied him to the island, anybody who knew about the girls being uh, sold into sex slavery and being abused by Epstein and his cronies needs to go to jail. I don't care if they have an R.D. after their name. I don't care if their last name is Gates, Clinton, or Trump. I don't give a damn. Jail. Don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear about anything. Don't want to hear yeah, but. Jail. Now, these documents lead to a question of, well, who was trying to get information? Who was still trying to stay connected what level of person wanted to be friends with the guy after we already knew that they were a sexual abuser? 
More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. And you're the sky. I think it was pretty easy to surmise the First Republic Bank was going to get purchased by someone. We saw the problems that they had there in California soon after the Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. And of course, the Signature Bank collapsed in New York that no one seems to talk about. I've yet to figure out why uh, that is. And all of a sudden you had like 10, 11 banks coming to the rescue of First Republic Bank. The, the knights in shining armor, or I could reverse it uh, like they did on Ted Lasso. And then you realize, well, wait a second. They're not just putting their money. Banks are not putting their money into another bank because they're kind, decent, good people. Oh, no, 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 no. They're doing it because they smell blood in the water. And what they saw was opportunity. And, of course, they were right. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Guys, it's good to be back in the chair. A couple of days off last week, man. It just feels good to start a Monday fresh. Dr. Matt Will joins me right now, economist from the University of Indianapolis. And uh, you were the guy who said it, sir. You were the one on this very show who said that they're not doing this out of the goodness of their heart. They're doing this because they want to be first in line to pick the bones to see who gets to take over. And now we know it's J.P. Morgan that gets to take over. And this takeover, we should be clear, J.P. Morgan is getting $92 billion in deposits. And the FDIC is going to share the losses, as described, on mortgages and commercial loans. So walk us through it bit by bit. What led to the First Republic collapse and what led to J.P. Morgan getting this sweetheart deal? Well, I have to tell you, first of all, Tony, this really is Jamie Dimon outsmarting the government again, like he did in 2008. And I hope we get time to talk about what he did in 2008, because we knew this was coming. You and I talked about that this was going to, you know, the next chapter of the book that he had already written. Um, What happened was, of course, Silicon Valley Bank goes under, a signature bank goes under, and there was a contagion. It spread to First Republic, which is a San Francisco-based regional bank. And their assets declined in value, Tony, but only by about $13 billion. They just went from $213 to $210 you know, billion, $213 to $203 billion in asset decline. It wasn't a big deal. And they don't have the big crypto. They have a little crypto. They don't have a lot of venture capital. They have a litter venture capital, maybe like 4 or 5% of their portfolio. It's mostly real estate in San Francisco that they own. And so that is what happened. And then Jamie Dimon came in and the contagion spread. Their deposits fled, Tony. They went from $173 billion in deposits down to $103 billion, like that. And of the $103 billion, 30 of it was Jamie Dimon's money. Yeah, So, but it wasn't just Jamie Dimon's money. It, it was right. a fair amount of, of banks that got in there. This was, the, this was a piece out, out, out of CNBC. Since the sudden collapse of Silicon Valley Bank in March, attention is focused on First Republic as the weakest link in the U.S. banking system. Like SVB, which catered to the tech startup community, First Republic was also a California-based specialty lender of sorts. It focused on serving rich coastal Americans, enticing them with low-rate mortgage, low rate mortgages in exchange for leaving cash at the bank. Now, when I read that, 
an outsider looking in, Dr. Will. What I get is, oh, my gosh, First Republic Bank was given sweetheart deals to people who would put cash uh, in their bank. I get this countrywide mortgages, countrywide loan kind of feel going on. What does that statement mean to you? And why is that? Why was that a problem? Okay, first of all, I got to tell you, it's wrong. And I hate to disagree with CNBC because I believe it's a reliable source. But I looked at a detailed analysis of their financial statements just this morning. And they didn't have the same exposure as SVB. They didn't have the same exposure as Signature Bank. They did have a lot of San Francisco tech-oriented depositors. But just because the person was in the tech business, that doesn't mean anything. It was just a regular depositor putting their money in the bank. But here's the difference. Those depositors were very rich. Those depositors were tied to the tech industry. And they, what happened is they picked up their phone, Tony. They picked up their phone, and with an app, they moved their money to another bank. And that's why they lost about $100 billion in deposits. Their loan portfolio was fine. The sweetheart deals were, there were normal deals that they were doing. There was nothing extraordinary about their portfolio. If, but, whoa, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa, wait a second, sir. Let's now fight. If there was nothing wrong with First Republic's portfolio, why in the world did the depositors who were getting sweetheart deals move their money? Because they were a regional bank, Tony, and they were told they weren't going to be insured by the FDIC. Remember, you played it on your show. You played the clip. When the senator asked Janet Yellen if she was going to cause contagion, if she was going to cause banks, depositors to move from regional banks to national banks, she caused this. This was caused by the federal government encouraging people to move their money out of uninsured banks. And this bank was not insured. That's why $100 billion left. You know, this when what Janet Yellen said was she was asked by uh, Senator Langford, and I'll try and find that for you, of, of Oklahoma. Are you saying that not every bank will be covered because you're saying that only banks that have a systemic risk that could provide or, or result in a systemic risk? will be covered and really protected by the FDIC and others. Well, the FDIC did come in here and protect this bank. So if that's what happened, then why would we have people moving their money out? First Republic would clearly be one of those banks that's covered. Well, first of all, she didn't protect this bank. This bank was not one that was officially protected by the government. What who is protected, though, is Jamie Dimon, because Jamie Dimon and J.P. Morgan, they got the coverage. They got the billions of dollars in guarantees, $13 billion that the federal government, you and I, are guaranteeing Jamie Dimon when he buys this bank. But let's go back to your original point. Their portfolio only went from $213 billion in value to $203 billion. Tony, they only lost that small percentage. The reason that they left is because the depositors were not insured. These are sophisticated depositors who, with the click of a button on their phone, moved money out of the bank because this was pre-guaranteeing everything that Janet Yellen was doing. They got nervous and they left because they weren't guaranteed. These are sophisticated depositors who left the bank. That's all that happened here. And Jamie Dimon helped cause it, and he then came in as the savior. And he knew he was going to do this, even though he said he wasn't going to. Well, you and now, I called him out on the show. Now, that, that's an accusation to make uh, of the head of, of J.P. Morgan Chase right there, Dr. Will. So he, he came in with a series of other banks to prop up 
first republic. And you did say, and you, you were accurate, I, I, I wholeheartedly agreed then, I still agree now, that the purpose there was to be able to have first dibs on being able to buy the bank if things go further south. But he's not the guy who caused them to go south. That was already taking place. So why is this Jamie Dimon's fault? Oh, uh, he's part of the cause, Tony, because he's the one. Banking is is an industry of confidence. And if you don't have confidence in your bank, you're going to pull your money out. And his statements, the fact that he's the biggest dog in the world, the biggest bank in the United States. So when he says things, it matters. And when he says our bank is safe or he gets someone a proxy for him to say it like Janet Yellen, those are very dramatic things to create a lack of confidence. And so I I will stand by my statement that I believe he was an instigator in creating the lack of confidence in regional banks. Let me now share with you exactly what it is that that back and forth between Senator Lankford of Oklahoma and the Treasury Secretary, uh, Janet Yellen. Listen. Will the deposits in every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of their size, be fully insured now? Are they fully recovered? Every bank, every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of the size of the deposit, will they get the same treatment that SVBP just got or Signature Bank just got? A bank only gets that treatment if... A majority of the FDIC board, a supermajority, a supermajority of the Fed board, and I, in consultation with the president, determine that the failure to protect uninsured depositors would create systemic risk and significant economic and financial consequences. So what is and your plan? that determination. Right. right. So, so what is your banks. plan to keep large depositors from moving their funds out of community banks into the big banks? We have seen the mergers of banks over the past decade. I'm concerned you're about to accelerate that by encouraging anyone who has a large deposit in a community bank to say, we're not going to make you whole. But if you go to one of our preferred banks, we will make you whole at that point. Um, look, I mean, we're that's certainly not something that we're encouraging. That is happening. But it is something without question that that Janet Yellen did indeed encourage what what I'm. Well, I think the confusion here is, Dr. Will, talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, is that would you refer to First Republic Bank as a small bank? By the FDIC standards, yes. They are considered a small bank. Now, they're a small bank with a sophisticated depositor base. I mean, they only have $103 billion of deposits. I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're talking about, let's say, you know, J.P. Morgan, they have two point four trillion dollars of deposits. So, yeah, they're, they're you know, they are considered a regional bank. But, Tony, I got to go back to the Jamie Dimon thing. You have to see what he did in 2008. He bought Bear Stearns at a 90 percent discount and realized a twenty five billion dollar profit. He bought Washington Mutual, the largest bankruptcy of a bank in history. At bargain sale prices, he realized a $90 billion profit. I went back and looked up all this data this morning. And, Tony, as soon as they finished this deal, as soon as it was announced today, 
they immediately announced, JP Morgan announced a $2.6 billion profit on the deal, in addition to a half a billion dollar profits year for eternity on this thing. I understand the issue that that you're getting to, although I'm never somebody who's opposed to profit. You're making the argument that Jamie Dimon helped precipitate the problems with First Republic in order to be able to get the deal. That's where I think you're going. Is that I mean, that's one heck of a charge to make. Okay, I'm not making that charge because I don't want his lawyers coming after me. But let me tell you, I am I have in my opinion, I guess I guess that's what the legal thing in my opinion he did nothing to deter this. And in fact, he may have, he may have behind the scenes. I don't know. I, I would love to have, question the guy before a deposition and find out what he did behind the scenes to help nurture this. You don't think he was on the phone with Janet Yellen? You don't think he was on the phone with the executives at First Republic Bank? You don't think he somehow was was behind the scenes talking to people, helping get the bailout? He, he structured a $30 billion deposit in their bank. He had to be talking to these people. Well, let's 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 take it a step further. By the way, I'm not against the profits either. I'm not against the profits, and I'm and I'm not against profit at, at, at all. But this all stems from what Janet Yellen said. All the banks are equal, but some banks are more equal than others. It was very Animal Farm what she said here. We only we only provide the backstop if we determine amongst us elites X, Y, and Z. And if you don't fall into that, well, you know, uh, thanks for playing and 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 oopsie. So that's why you saw these banks line up to help First Republic. They knew they weren't going to lose their money. They knew they were going to get protected by the FDIC. They knew that they were, were, were safe. The question is, if we're talking about First Republic here, well, we got to be talking about 10 more banks down the road. Everybody's only focused on one at a time. That doesn't make any sense. So the question before us is, is have are we now seeing a level of dominoes falling that the big banks have already figured out you're going to get this and you're going to get that and you're going to get that if five italians on a street corner did it it would be collusion with concrete prices but this is banking and it's okay is that what we're starting to see is that what janet yellen started right there with that statement to senator langford I think the domino effect is not what she started. Again, I'll say it again. Jamie Dimon is much smarter than Janet Yellen. He's a better negotiator. He set up the terms. You said about the domino effect. He did it in 2008 with Bear Stearns. He did it in 2008 with Washington Mutual. He's going to do it. He just did it again with First Republic. It's the same page from the same playbook. He's smarter than the government regulators. He's sitting there like a vulture. He helps create the environment with this $30 billion deposit so that nobody wants to buy this bank. No one's going to go near it because Jamie Dimon's already staked his claim to it. He's put his pole in the ground and said, I've got money in this bank. Anybody else want it? And all the other bankers just walk away. No, Jamie, we don't want it. Go ahead. It's yours for free. No one would buy this. They've only lost 10 out of $213 billion. Nobody wants it? Tony, you and I should raise the money and buy this bank. What a... What a sweetheart deal he got. Uh, that's, I think, the, the the biggest point is this idea of the sweetheart deals, of the people on the inside, uh, that that you have, you know, First Republic fails, yet uh, J.P. Morgan wins, and we're the ones now being told that we're going to cover losses via the FDIC. That is we the people covering the losses, correct? Oh, okay. First of all, yes. 13 billion in asset losses you and I are covering. 
FDI through the FDIC. In addition to, we are giving him a $50 billion financing deal to buy a bank with $103 billion in deposits and $200 billion in assets. Tony, would anybody like to buy a $200 billion item for $100 billion? Oh, by the way, and we'll finance it. Right. Now I'm I'm in on that deal, Doctor Will, and that's just the point. It's that sweetheart deal. That's uh, the the story. We'll get more into it, Doctor Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Much more to get to and find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz today. Very good to see states pushing back against Joe Biden and this very ridiculous rule on mortgages where you tell people, oh, you have a good credit score. Okay, you pay a little bit more. And oh, you have a bad credit score. Okay, you pay a little bit less. It's wealth redistribution. It is from each according to their measure to each according to their mean. It's Marxism. And this is who Joe Biden is. Now, it's not always who he was, but it is what he is now because, well, that's what the party demands. And he has no spine. He has no backbone. He has no decency. He has no core. And so, therefore, he does what he's told, whatever nonsense thing is put in front of him. We should be clear, people pushing this idea, thinking that this is smart or good or decent, that people who have better credit scores uh, because they've saved more, because they bought less things, because they were careful with their money, and yes, all those things are possible, uh, that they should pay for other people who maybe were delinquent or not as serious or certainly didn't put as much care in. Now, that's not true in every case, but it's true in enough cases for me to be able to say it here. It's disgusting to think that anybody would be okay with this in the world of, well, anything. But there are plenty of people who are okay with wealth redistribution. These are ugly people, and the pushback is well-deserved. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Today.